let's get a few things clear, okay? For some reason, well, we moved recently. I know that reason, but for some reason, right before we moved, our daughter, God was attributing it to, she's, you know, just nervous. She senses things are changing. She was waking up at like four in the morning, three in the morning, whatever it is, just crying, crying. Those of you who are parents probably identified and are like, I've been there. Uh, but we haven't gotten out of that funk. And last night she was up at 1.30. So daddy's been up for a long time today. And got he slept from 10 until 1.30. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. And we're here today though. So we are trusting that Jesus can come fill us up today. Now I've heard from some of the rest of you who also were up late last night. And you may be tired just like I am. But let's trust the Lord that he'll go with us. Can we just begin by praying together? that God will center us. Let's do that. Lord, I'm tired. And I just have got to claim that statement that Paul made, that when I am weak, you can be strong. And so God, would you fill in the gaps today? And would you cover all the bases? I thank you that it's not my name that's at stake. Uh, Jesus, we're talking about you today. And so come meet with us in a very real way. Lord, we're progressing towards a Sunday that is different. Next week is different. We get to celebrate people who are making a public declaration that they love you. We'll do that through baptism. And we're going to pray with one another and pray that you will heal our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our relationships, trusting that you're able to do that. Everything that will happen a week from today is built on the past eight weeks and things that we've heard and seen. And it's been a joy to look at you, to look at you in the Gospels and see that you are able. You have ultimate power. There's nothing that's too great for you. God, teach us of that one more time today. Remind us of that once more. And we'll trust you all along the way. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I've already been asked, now how is baptism happening? What are we doing? Where's the, where's the water? Are we going to a pool? What's happening? You're just coming to church here. We're getting a stock trough. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, all right. We're just going to dump people in a stock trough that will be set up here. I'm going to be running a hose Saturday night in here and filling this up. Hopefully, we won't like break through the floor with the weight of the water. We'll see what happens. But it's just going to happen right here. We're going to do that. If I haven't talked with you about what you need to be thinking about or laid that out for you, that means I haven't officially heard from you that you're participating. So if you've missed out and you're like, what's happening? I need information. Be sure to connect with me primarily by filling out that connection card. But if that hasn't worked and you haven't heard from me, my email address is in your bulletin right above today's notes. So pull out your bulletin. Let's get started. Um, we're also going to be dealing with healing uh, next Sunday. And in that a course of things. Um, what we're doing is trusting that God is able to heal bodies, minds, emotions, relationships. Um, and we're just going to pray for one another. So during that point of the service, what will happen is I'll invite you to come forward if you'd like to be prayed for in that way. I'll invite those of you who'd like to pray with a brother or sister to come forward and lay hands on them as they come to seek that from the Lord. We have some anointing oil that we'll use. And we're just going to pray in faith that Jesus is able to do these things. Okay? Sound good? All right.
Let's do this. Here we go. Today's going to be a good day. Tomorrow or tomorrow. Next Sunday is going to be a great Sunday. Invite your friends. Uh, last message in this series on water, we've been looking at different times where Jesus and water intersected, and this is the last one. We're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there to Matthew chapter 14. And this is the story where Jesus walks on the water. He ventures out onto the water. Um, as I think about venturing out into the water, I only have one story in my life that I can share with you that kind of gives you some semblance of this. When I was a teenager, we would go to youth camp at a place called Victory Mountain Wesleyan Camp in North Carolina. It's a great camp. In fact, earlier this year when I got to go speak at a kid's camp, I was gone one Sunday, you may re recall that. It was at that camp. That was a camp for kindergartners and first graders that I spoke at, but that's the camp that I would go to as a uh, young person where I felt God calling me into ministry of some sort, and just a very special place for me. And there at that camp, they have this pond, not quite a lake, it's more of a pond, where they have canoes and paddle boats and all kinds of things. You can fish there, you can go out on the pond and do whatever. But in the boys' cabins, there was a rumor that right across the pond on the other side, which you couldn't, there was like too much brush to really get out and get in there, that there was an all-girls camp over on the other side of the pond. <laughs> and so the talk every year was about how we would strategize. Now, how are we going to get out in the middle of the night and see, and see if this is true? We just didn't know. Well, there is no all-girls camp on the other side. We don't know where that, I, you know, now I've, I've asked. In fact, a few years ago when I went back there to uh, teach at a kid's camp, um, I specifically asked that. I was like, when I was a young person here, there was a rumor that there was a girls' camp over there. They're like, no, the next camp's quite a few miles away. Don't know where that came from. But somebody got that started. And so we would, you know, think about venturing out into the darkness and never did it, but sure thought about it a lot as a young person. All right. Boys, right? What you going to do? <clears throat> there was an unknown there. There was a mystery and there was an adventure. And today in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is going to venture out onto the water. The disciples have ventured out onto the water. And to set the context, Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000 people. All right, This is one of the most incredible miracles in Scripture where Jesus is able to feed people by breaking loaves, breaking fishes, fish, and everybody's fed and there's an abundance of food. And Jesus does what only He can do. And now... He's going to do something that Jesus also often did. Jesus would often go and seclude himself to go talk with God the Father. And so Jesus and his disciples have just had this huge day. It must have been exhausting. They must have been absolutely tired from a day full of ministry to thousands of people. And Jesus sends his disciples across the water to go to the other side. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray by myself. I'll catch you on the other side. And so the disciples get in the boat and they set sail across the water and Jesus goes off by himself to pray. And that's something that we all probably need more of, of an abundance of solitude. Um, some of us may be more extroverted. Some of us may be more introverted. I think by, by the way you all define yourself here at Brown's Chapel, so many of you say like, I'm introverted, I'm introverted. Who would say, I'm introverted? You need to be by yourself. Well, okay, not as many as I thought. How many of you are like, I'm an extrovert. I'll just get out there and do it. Okay, and what are the rest of you who didn't raise your hand? <laughs> are you alive this morning? Uh, you're kind of wishy-washy. One day you're an introvert, one day you're an extrovert. Okay, I got you. Well, we probably all need a little bit more solitude. I know introverts, we tend to recharge by being by ourselves, loving that alone time. 
Um, not that we don't love people or like being around people, but that's not where you draw energy. My dad is an extreme extrovert. He gets his energy from being around people, and he'll come back from being with a group of people, and he's like, whoo, ready to go. And my mom is an introvert, and she's around a lot of people, and she comes back from being with people, and she's exhausted and just can't hardly function. Well, anyways, Jesus set some time in solitude. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, being alone with the Father is an important thing. Uh, We can learn that, but that's not the big point today. So he sends his disciples to the other side of the lake. Let's pick up in Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And I'd love it if you'd read with me what's on the screen. Let's read together. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, recently in one of our lessons, we talked about a storm and Jesus was asleep on the boat and the disciples woke him up and Jesus, with ultimate power, was able to speak to the wind and the waves and everything calmed. And this time, though, they're out there on the lake all by themselves, and a storm has arisen. There's no Jesus sleeping on the boat this time around. And I can only imagine that this must have been a terrifying and exhausting moment. Have you ever been in a place where you just are making no progress, where you are working hard, but nothing's happening? Uh, That could be either just like, I got a story I'll share with you in a minute, but in your job, you might be working hard and nothing's happening. In your relationships, you could be working hard, but things are going nowhere. Uh, The best example I have of this is another water story. Uh, Growing up in Miles City, Montana, we were right on the bank of the Yellowstone River. That's what uh, Lewis and Clark adventured on and, and did all their things. And one day, I don't know who the person was or why my mom allowed this to happen, But somebody said, hey, I'd love for the boys, me and my brothers, to come with our family. We're going to go swim in one of the little rivers that's an inlet to the Yellowstone. We're just going to go out there and have fun. So we were out in the boonies, out in the wilderness. We get out in this thing, we're swimming around, and it's all good. Until we let the current drift me too far down towards the Yellowstone. And all of a sudden, as that little inlet river connected with the Yellowstone, the current of the Yellowstone just pulls the water right into the big river. Now, the Yellowstone River is a big river. Before I knew it, I was out in the Yellowstone River. (laughs) And I'm going down fast. Like, I feel like I'm just, like, booking it down the river. And I try to turn myself around and swim as hard as I can to get back where everybody is. And I'm pumping it. I mean, I'm like, (laughs) just going, going, going as hard as my body can take me. And I look over to the side, and I realize I'm, absolutely still. The power with which I am swimming (laughs) is negated by the river moving, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just hanging out there. And I thought, I'm going to die out here. I'm going to die. And then I thought, oh, well, here's something I could do. (laughs) So I let the current take me and just kind of angled my body towards shore and drifted over that way and was able to finally touch the bottom and walk out. And then it took about 15 minutes to walk back where everybody was because I was so far down the river. But like that was a terrifying moment where I was paddling, working as hard as I could to swim, but I couldn't get anywhere. And then we may have had times like that in life. You're trying hard, you're trying to make progress, but nothing's happening. Anyways, that's what's happening for these guys. Now we read verse 25. Read with me. 
about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. So they're really struggling to make it. They're getting nowhere. They're just slogging. And here comes Jesus walking through the storm. He's just strolling through it on top of the water. They're stationary, not being able to move to the other side, stuck there in the middle because of the wind and the waves. And Jesus is just walking across, just strolling along, showing absolute power over the forces around him. And you've got to love this. Because what this means for us is that there really is nothing that Jesus can't handle. Jesus is able to make his way through it. It doesn't matter how deep the depths of the lake were or how high the waves or strong the wind. Jesus is strolling along through it all. Let's apply this to our lives for a moment. The truth of life that we gave ourselves the promise of last week. Jesus made a promise about what life would be like. He said, in this world you will have right. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you're going to face storms. And be it a practical storm or something that you could equate to a storm in your life, things may be calm for a season. But isn't it amazing how quickly a storm of life can come up? How quickly things can go from seeming calm and stable to being turbulent and terrifying. It could happen that way for you with your health. Some of you in this room have faced that before. Things have been absolutely fine, and then out of the blue, you get told something about something that's going on in your body, and all of a sudden, things are very real, and there's a storm that is going on. It could happen that way in your job. You could think that things were stable, and in just a moment, things go from zero to 60, and all of a sudden, things are turbulent and terrifying happen that way in your relationship. You might think things are okay, and then you find out that they're not. And isn't it funny how the things that seem to happen in the night seem to go on forever? I feel that way sometimes. I felt that way at 1.30 this morning. <laughs> it's like, will this ever end? Will the sun ever rise tomorrow? I mean, I'm stuck here, and we're getting nowhere. What is going to happen? I'm exhausted. Will this ever end? And we ask ourselves, or begin to contemplate in our minds, is this something that Jesus can handle? Is he able to get through this? Does it phase God? Well, here, it certainly doesn't seem to phase God. Let's contrast that now with the disciples. Let's read verse 26. Read with me. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! They're frightened. They're absolutely terrified here. They're exhausted. They were already scared for their lives. And now they see a ghost coming for them. What a night. 3 a.m. What a terrible night. Verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Now, if you've got your bulletins, this is where you're going to need them. Because this is such a huge statement that Jesus makes. Do not be afraid. They are afraid. Jesus seems to be terrifying to people over and over again. As Jesus does something amazing, the people around him are terrified. Why? Because Jesus has power over power. Jesus has power over the most powerful things, the most powerful forces in life. He has power over mighty power. But he says to them, take courage, I am here. I want to break this statement down for you. 
because it's really quite revealing what's happening here. If you were to translate, take courage, I am here, literally, what Jesus said was, take courage, the I am is here. Now, why does that sound familiar to your ears? You can answer. Moses. Okay, Moses is at the burning bush, right? And he gives, Moses asks, who shall I say is sending me? And what does he say? Tell them, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them I am. That is my name. And so who is, what is Jesus saying about himself here? See, a lot of times in, in our culture, we try to explain away Jesus. And there's some people who say, Jesus never made a claim to be God. Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, you didn't go around saying that name. That name was set apart and sacred. Even in that culture, you didn't say that. You didn't use those words. Jesus is claiming deity here in this moment. I am is here. God, the God of the universe, is here. Why can, he, why can Jesus walk around in this storm unfazed while the others are slogging to try to get through it? Because he's God. Because Jesus is God. When you come to Jesus in Scripture, and you're asking, that self, asking yourself that question, is Jesus really God? You've either got to decide one of two things. You've either got to say what he said about himself, the I am is here, that he is God, either that's true, or he's a lunatic. How do things like this happen? Who could explain it any other way? This doesn't happen. People don't just walk on water, making their way easily through a storm while everybody else in a boat, many men trying to power through this thing, can't get anywhere. How does this happen? Because it's God. It's God. So we've got to hold on to that and claim that. All right. What he's saying to them is, before the world was, I am. Power gets its power from me. The Gospel of John lays that out right at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and spoke everything into his existence through him, by him and through him. All things are made. Jesus was there before the power of the storm could be there. Now, the other Gospels where this story is told stop here, but I chose the story out of the book of Matthew because there's more to the story that the other Gospels don't share. The other stories, Jesus gets in the boat, but in the Gospel of Matthew, it gives us more details about what happens next. It gives us a story of a, the impulsive disciple, Peter, who has a tendency to open his mouth at the most unopportune times. Who can identify? <laughs> there are moments when those words escape your mouth and you realize after they're out and you reach for them, hoping to grab them and put them back in, but you can't because they're already gone. And this just seems to happen for Peter over and over again. So Peter is witnessing what he once thought was a ghost walking on the water who says it's Jesus, and out of Peter's mouth come these words. Read them with me. Then Peter called to him, Lord... If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. If I'd have been Peter, I'd have said that and been like, <laughs> get him back in. What did I just say? 
What did I just do? Why would Peter do this? Did he not recognize Jesus' voice? Why this question if it's really you? If he wanted confirmation, if he was just looking for confirmation that this wasn't a ghost, Peter could have said, yes, ghost claiming to be Jesus. Earlier today, we fed lots of people. How many loaves and fishes did the boy bring? And Jesus could have answered and said, you know, there are this many loaves and this many fishes. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're Jesus. Come on, get on the boat. But that's not what Peter was thinking of. That's not why he asked the question in this way. He was looking for confirmation that this was Jesus and not a ghost, but why ask a question like this? Peter asked to do something impossible as a confirmation that it was indeed Jesus and he wanted Jesus to do a miracle. And what I think was those impulsive words that drove that out of his mouth was this flicker of faith that has just been building inside of Peter. Peter is asking Jesus to do something impossible. And Peter has already seen some very impossible things. Jesus has sent the disciples out to cast out demons. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, in your name we're able to do these incredible things. It's absolutely amazing. Peter has this flicker of faith. If this is Jesus, could he really do something this crazy for me? Can I really head out into an impossible place, into an impossible storm, and be okay? And perhaps you, like me, have talked to the Lord and expressed an openness to his will. Lord, where do you want to lead me? Where do you want to take me? What is there something that you want me to do? And God may have said, this is the thing. And you think to yourself, well, that's just impossible. I could never do those things. I could never lead a Sunday school class. I could never sing on a Sunday morning. I could never openly share my faith with my neighbor or with the cashier at the grocery store. I could never have the words that would let me do that kind of thing. It may seem impossible to you. And for Peter in his life, this thing is impossible. If it's really you, ask me to come out and walk on the water to where you are. Because if you can do that, that's really crazy. And then Jesus answered. <laughs> yes, come, Jesus said. Oh boy. <laughs> I wonder if Peter's brain was finally catching up with his mouth at this point. We can all express an openness to God's will, and we tend to do that. You know, we come to church and we're like, God, you know, make us salt and light this week. We, we Lynn and I prayed that this morning, and I've prayed that prayer before, and we come to church and we say, you know, God, really teach me through this. I want to I serve you. I'm going to do something for you. And we come with these openness, you know, like words. But what if God actually responds? What if God actually says, yeah, let's do it. Yes, come, let's do it. If you're a fan of the Olympics, I love the Olympics. And some people think the Winter Olympics are less than the Summer Olympics. I don't care. I like Olympics of any kind. Give me the Olympics, I love it. I think it's absolutely great. But in the Summer Olympics, they do these dives off these huge diving platforms. And they just happen in an instant. I mean, it's, these guys are like doing 17 flips and turns, and they make it into the water, and it all happens just like that. And on TV, it's pretty impressive to see. 
But have you ever stood up on top of something that high over water and contemplated jumping in? It takes your breath away. It gives you this moment. I've never been on a diving board or platform that high. But I've been on some. Huh? It's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't never say never. God may call. Uh, I've never been up on one quite that high. But on high diving boards, you get up there and you look down and it's like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? And especially as a young person, when you go to like some swimming area together and there's like a line of people climbing up the ladder to dive off and you're like, I can do this. And then you get up there and you can't get down because there's a bunch of other people behind you on the ladder. And you're like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? It's one thing to get up on the diving board. It's another thing to jump off the diving board. It's one thing to ask to get out of the boat. It's another thing to take a step out of the boat. And here is Peter faced with Jesus saying, yeah, let's do this, Pete. Let's read together. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Off he goes. Imagine those first few moments and what they must have been like for Peter. He puts his foot over the side of the boat that's tossing and turning, and somehow it connects with something solid in the water. And there is Jesus. Like, yeah, dude, way to go. Come on, let's do this. And he takes another step and another. And he begins walking on water towards Jesus. What an incredible moment. I can't imagine what must have been rushing through him. And as he's walking on top of the water, out of the corner of his eye, he notices. That's really choppy. And he feels, you know, everybody in the Bible had long hair, right? I mean, that's what we always imagine. He feels his hair whipping around his face and his beard blowing up into his face. And he begins to think, wait a minute, this is scary. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink down into the water, realizing I'm not going to make it. And he has to call out, save me, Lord. Let's talk for a minute about follow through faith. Follow through faith. Anybody play basketball in high school or anything like that? Two of us. <laughs> We're going to take you on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so in playing basketball, you know, your coach teaches you all kinds of different things. But one of the things that the coach teaches you is you don't just chuck a ball up and hope that it connects with the goal. When you're shooting a basketball, your coach will teach you how to properly hold the ball over your shoulder, not over the center of your head or not over here. You're right here. And when you shoot the ball, you push the ball up and then you point with your finger down into the goal. This is called the follow through. And what it's intended to do is to remind you that proper form that helps that accuracy go up. And so you would practice, and sometimes you'd shoot the ball, and all of a sudden, you're pointing over here, and you're like, no, nope, that's not quite right. No wonder the ball is kind of shooting off in that direction. This needs to end up right where the goal is. Steph Curry is one of the greatest follow-through forms in the NBA right now. Here's a picture of him. He shoots, got great accuracy, does a great job, shoots and points with that follow-through right into the goal. Are we willing to follow through? We can get out of the boat. So there's like, 
Getting up on, or saying, I want to get out of the boat is tough. Getting out of the boat is tough. Following through is tough. Seeing it through to the end, it's not easy. And we might start off with great intentions. We might start off with great intentions saying, yes, Lord, let's do this thing. I'm ready. Let's go. But can we see it through to the end? I think about the rich young ruler in this story who came to Jesus full of passion, saying, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, it's going to mean you need to give up everything. Go sell all your stuff. Come and follow me. Did he have follow through? No, he didn't. Jesus loved him. We read that in the story. Jesus loved him. He was so close, but so far away because he couldn't follow through. And here is Peter. He's gotten out of the boat. He's taken the steps, but he's taken his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. Read with me now the next few verses, 31 through 33. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. They end up worshiping him, but I want to go back to Peter for just a moment. In this story, Peter starts off well. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus. How many steps did Peter take? Did he take 10 steps, 20 steps? I don't know. We don't get told. But what we do know is it was an exhilarating journey as he walks towards Jesus. He takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to look at the wind and waves, and he begins to sink into the water, and Jesus comes and pulls him out. And here's what's interesting. For Peter... This is not the last time that he would sink and need to be rescued. There's another time where Peter is going to sink and need Jesus to pull him out. Later in the Gospels, we read that Jesus, or Peter boldly tells Jesus before they head off into the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter says, I will follow you to the bitter end. I will die right alongside you, Jesus. They get to the Garden it's, again, something that happens at night. They can't stay awake. Jesus is praying. And all of a sudden, the soldiers come with Judas to take Jesus off and hold him on trial. And Peter puts up a fight, but they end up, Jesus ends up calming Peter down, and he gets taken away. And Peter sneaks at a distance, staying just close enough to see what's happening, but not so close as to get in trouble because he was afraid. If I actually follow through with this, it could mean my life. He ends up in the courtyard where Jesus is on trial, watching, trying to get a sense of what's going on. And while he's there, a little girl says, hey, I recognize you. You're that guy who's always with Jesus. I know who you are. And Peter says, no, it's not me. Three times it comes up. No, it's not me. No, it's not me. On the third time, he curses the little girl and says, I do not know this man. I do not know this man. The rooster crows. And I can't imagine in Peter's heart what that moment must have been like. Because Jesus had told him, before this night ends, you'll deny me three times. I have to imagine that the next few days were absolute torture for Peter. Peter's not at the foot of the cross. One disciple is, John is, but Peter is nowhere to be found. A few days later, Jesus conquers death in the grave. He goes and visits the disciples, does all different things. But at the end of one of the Gospels, there's the story where Jesus meets the disciples out on the beach. 
they're out in the boat fishing, and he calls them in, and he made breakfast for them. They come in, and Jesus pulls Peter aside. And he asks him, he says, Peter, let's talk for a moment. Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Peter failed on that boat out on the lake. Was Jesus done with him? No. He's sinking into the water. Is Jesus done with him? No. Jesus extends out his hand and says, come on, Pete, get up. Peter fails at the cross. Was Jesus done with him? No. Jesus extends his hand to him and he says, come on, Pete. There's more for you to do. Get up. Come on, Pete. Take another step of faith. Come follow me. And Peter did. Peter faithfully served Jesus. He established the church. He travels around telling people about Christ. The story goes, we don't have this like written down in Scripture, but tradition of history tells us that as he's starting the church, people end up persecuting him for talking about Jesus. To the point where they say, you know what, you like this Jesus so much, we're going to crucify you just like we crucified him. And Peter says to the people who are saying that to him, they said, I am not worthy, he says, to be crucified like my Lord. If you're going to crucify me, hang me upside down. I don't even deserve that. So the story goes that they crucified him on a cross. This is where Peter died. Hanging upside down on a cross because he loves Jesus and Jesus wasn't done with him yet. And like Peter, there will be times when you will sink. You want to follow the Lord and you're doing everything that you can. You think it's all good, but all of a sudden the follow through just isn't there. And you begin to sink through and you may worry and say, what's happening? It might be leading in worship or in a Bible study and things don't go well. You might get embarrassed and not want to try it again. Sometimes you might want to share your faith story and God's pressing on you. Do this. Talk with this person. And the conversation just, you just can't get it started. You're not doing it. And you say, what am I doing? Do I even love the Lord? What's happening here? Or the storm may have picked us up and taken our eyes off of Jesus and all you can see around you is trouble. There's something going on in your life that's just got you. And there's, there seems to be no hope and you're in, caught in the middle of a night that seems like it'll never end as things toss and turn around you and you're like, how did I get here? But you are not alone and you are not deserted. Jesus is there to extend the hand and say, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Get up. Let's do this. Let's go together. Our failure is no excuse not to step up on the water when Jesus calls. You are not alone. You are not deserted. Jesus is there to pick you up and keep you safe. Jesus is always the safety always there to extend a hand and pull us to safety. There is no distance that you, can have, that you can have run from Christ. He still reaches out to you. I want us to think for a minute about the words that Jesus said to Peter. You have so little faith, Peter. 
Sometimes we read this story and we think that Jesus is just really being harsh here. And in our mind's eye, we picture Jesus saying, Pete, why did you have so little faith? Come on, man. You can do better than this. I don't think Jesus talked that way. I think Jesus said, come on, Pete. Do you know who you're talking to here? The I am is here. Have some faith, man. You know what I'm capable of. Let's do this. And today I want you to think of Jesus not with that hard voice who's condemning you to say, why did you have so little faith to think that this couldn't happen? But rather, take my hand. Let's do it together. Let's go together. Setting out into the impossible may always be terrifying. But to be with Jesus, to go hand in hand with him, is the best journey you'll ever be able to take. Worship team can come up here as I just think through one more thing. I imagine that Peter wasn't embarrassed of this story. As he's traveling around telling people about Jesus, my guess is Peter told this story a lot. Guys, there's one day we were out on a boat. What day? In the middle of the night, 3 a.m. in the morning, right? We're out on a boat, the waves are tossing. It's crazy. We see this thing we think is a ghost. And I said, hey, if you're Jesus, tell me to come out and I'll walk out there. And he said, come on out. And so I took a step out and I walked a few steps and it was awesome. Some other things happened there. But at one point, Jesus said, hey, let's hold hands. We'll walk the rest of the way together. Probably kind of glossed over that one part a little bit. I know I would. If I were Peter, you probably would too. You know, I'm out there walking some yada, yada, yada. And then we just we hold hands and we're in this thing together. Failure doesn't eliminate you from walking in faith. What's that thing that's got you? What's that thing where you may have sunk? What's that storm that might be around you? Do you trust Jesus can go with you? Do you hear his voice? The I am is here. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said. I overcame it. Take my hand. Let's walk together. Let's sing this as our benediction.